Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Hope everybody had a great holiday. If you're still celebrating, good for you. Good on you. New Year's Eve is around the corner. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas and that everybody is uh, just enjoying kind of the last few days, the dog days of 2020 before we move on to greener pastures here in 2021. Jake, did you have a Merry Christmas? I did. I did. Had a good Christmas. Good. Uh, uh, drove by my parents, said hi to them real brief. Say, same thing with the in-laws, you know, kept it as socially distant or kept it socially distant. Um, definitely a very different year. Um, one that's been uh, kept mainly to Zoom with everything, but uh, one that I think we can make the most of in any way we can. Try to be as uh, optimistic as we can. It was nice to have uh, it be a little bit more low key than it typically is, um, a little bit more quiet, and kind of took advantage of that. So you know, try to find the positives in all the negatives in the world. Look at you, just just positive, just yeah. upbeat. And you know what also also happened this week? My reverse retro jersey came in, and anyone out there watching oh. the video of this, I am currently rocking it. I had to in the first uh, first podcast that I had it for. Ryan Getzloff jersey, you know, it's glorious. I love it. There you go. I'll try to raise it up right now so people can see. For, for those who don't know, Jake really agonized over the decision of I, who to get I on did. his jersey. I did. And then I realized it was actually an easy answer because I don't have a Ryan Getzloff jersey. And the other two options that I would go for, knowing me, are unknowns in terms of jersey numbers. So, you know, got to go for the the known quantity. Yeah, you went for the sure value, which, uh, you know, is on a jersey. Is what, the, on is a, what the Ducks did this week with their recent signing of oh, Ryan Miller. Wow, just cutting me off. Well, Oops. Can, can I give a quick review of the jersey? Yeah, let's, let's, is it comfortable? It's comfortable. It's for anyone that had one of the previous Adidas or uh, Reebok Authentics, because this is my first Adidas jersey, actually. The Reebok Authentics, I think, were a little higher quality, but you also paid a little bit more for them. Oh, um, shots fired. A little bit at the Adidas Authentics. They're a little bit of a mix of the old Authentics and the old replicas. The stitching on it is top-notch, though. I got mine from Cool Hockey, where they do hand-stitching um, of the numbers and the lettering, and it is fantastic quality. I can't say enough good things about the product that they gave me. Um, and I'll say this about the jersey. It's even better in person than it is on screen and it might be the favorite my favorite jersey that i own i wow i I, and i own a mighty ducks jersey i own that old black third jersey with the anaheim script on it i own the word print ducks jersey i own the old third which is now the home jersey i own the own the orange i love the orange jersey but this i think might be my favorite it's just it's just so good you know that's really heartwarming to hear. It it was that, a it was a great Christmas present to myself slash Hanukkah present to myself. You know. Oh okay. So you you get so you believe in gifting yourself something on Christmas? No, I mean this came on Wednesday and I opened it. So you know. Okay. I still some people are really big on that. You know, they getting yourself something for Christmas. It's it's a thing. So anyway, you know, everyone not, out not, there, treat not, yourself. not judging, treat yourself. Yeah, exactly. Reward yourself. Well, you got you got to. You got to reward yourself every now and again. All right. So do now want, that do you want do do you want to talk about uh something hockey related? Sure. I think it's I think well, you, well beyond I think, jerseys. Yeah, I think you've had enough jersey talk. I think it's time to get into Ryan Miller. Well, yeah. So the Ducks did what we've been speculating on now for what feels like an eternity, but Ryan Miller re-signed one-year deal, one million dollar cap hit. It's 
pretty much to the to the T what we expected here that the Ducks would do at the backup goalie position. So what was your reaction when the news came down and what are your what are your thoughts on on the ramifications here? My reaction is it makes sense. I mean, you and I speculated, I think on last week's pod and also in my article that came out about the uh the taxi squad limitations that the ducks will have that um, basically you're, you're required to carry three goalies. I really doubt that the ducks wanted to carry Lucas Dostal or Ole Eriksson on the NHL squad. I think if you bring Lucas Dostal over from Europe, you're not doing that to have him be in the press box almost every single night. So uh, this is a perfect situation for Anthony Stolars to practice with an NHL team, maybe get in a game or two as a backup and be the taxi squad goalie primarily and um, so you need you needed one other person. Whether that meant uh, Stolarz was going to be the backup and you were going to sign someone to be the taxi squad goalie, or like what the Ducks did, you signed a backup goalie and Anthony Stolarz for the uh, taxi squad. And then we also had the rumblings out there that basically the Ducks were allowing Ryan Miller to skate at the facilities. Um, so that made it even more clear that the Ducks had a lot of goodwill for Ryan Miller, and he repaid that because he let them practice there without being on the roster without being on the team without having a contract and skate with all the guys stay sharp stay up to date so you knew it it would make sense that if ryan miller was coming back it was with the ducks the only question mark was whether they were going to be able to do it from a salary cap perspective um and this is where the taxi squad is very important because right now if you look at cap friendly the ducks are currently 1.2929 uh basically 1.93 mil over the cap and but that is with a 23 man roster um that is without ryan kessler having been put on ltr and i believe the ducks want to become cap compliant come opening night before they potentially put ryan miller or not ryan miller ryan kessler on ltir um so basically the the 23 man roster is the key thing they'll be able to with the taxi squad get that down to a 20 man roster um be able to move out a ba- essentially enough money I mean, if you think about it like this, if the three guys they take off this 23-man roster are all making league minimum of 700000 that clears up 2.1 mil. So that gets them cap compliant right there. Yeah, I mean, they're not. I don't even think they're going to need to do LTIR to no. be cap compliant. They no. just need to have taxi squad. They'll just need to be going back and forth. The only way that they would need jo- LTIR... Jones and, Jones and Agazino add up to 1.563 on their own. Exactly. And so, so the only yeah. <laughs> way that they would want to do LTIR is that they want to run a 23-man roster. on all, Basically, in order to become cap compliant without LTIR, they need to have a 20-man roster, which means a 22-man roster on off days. But then again, you still have the taxi squad. So you still have, with the taxi squad, 26 people. So it, it's Yeah, it's I lot. mean, LTIR I don't think is anything to, to avoid if you – if you want to use it, if you, if it's something that's needed, there's no penalty for it that I'm aware of. So if they dip their toes into that, that's fine. But I think with the way the taxi squad is set up, they should be able to, to avoid that. Again, it's not anything to be avoided, but it's just, they don't need to go to that length to, to get it done. Yeah. By the way, just, just complete aside, total complete aside. Mm -hmm. Ryan Kessler, second to last year on his deal. Almost up. Almost up. (laughs) Yeah. That, that went by fast. I mean, the good news for the Ducks on that deal, this is also a side note here, is it's been confirmed, I believe, by Frank Cervelli that a significant portion of that deal is actually being covered by insurance. So the Ducks aren't actually even paying a lot of that money. So for anyone wondering about, 
uh, or saying that the Ducks are paying that money and they need to try to clear that up. Um, that's yeah, actually trade him issue. Yeah, to, the, the, trade him to get out of actual salary. And, and yeah. there's not actual salary there. So that's one thing to kind of think, keep in mind. By the way, I want to give a shout out. Varluna resubscribed for 24 months and said, what a two years it's been. So thank you so much, Varluna. Wow. One of our One of our day oneers right there. So yeah. Shout out seriously. to her. Um, so Absolutely. circling back, Ryan Miller. Uh, so yes. it, made, it made sense from a cap perspective, from a performance perspective, from uh, what's out there. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, if you look at who was available, there were rumblings about Jimmy Howard to the to the Ducks, a, a guy that the Ducks had interest in. And Ryan Miller's a lot been a lot better than Jimmy Howard in the last three years. And I think that Ryan Miller wasn't as good last year. He struggled alongside uh, John Gibson as well. But it was just kind of a down year for Ducks goaltending as a whole. And so I think with all of the additional time off, we've seen Ryan Miller be one of the very best backup goalies in the NHL in the last in, in his Anaheim tenure. And I don't know if we're going to get necessarily that level of performance. It's It's so hard to predict. But I do think that with some improvement in front of him with the Ducks maybe having a bit more of a sound infrastructure and ecosystem for goalies. Um, a 40-year-old Ryan Miller should be able to turn in at least one more productive season before the Ducks once again next summer have to figure something out at backup. Although by then, they may have some options that become more palatable, aka Lucas Dostal. We'll see. Yeah, and one thing that that is key here is that um, the big reason why you're going with they're requiring three goalies is because someone can get hurt and the games are coming quick and we'll get into the schedule in just a bit, but there's a lot of, of back to backs. There's a lot of just single days off. And so Ryan Miller is going to have to get into a lot of games here. And so out of the 56 games that are going to be happening on the schedule, my bet would be, he's going to play somewhere in the probably somewhere in the 20 to 25 range is what you would want to see from him. So he's going to have plenty of opportunity and you wanted to get someone solid that you know, that can get up to speed quick. And I think familiarity is something that's important here. And it's not as if he has to relearn a defensive system in a short training camp. He can come in, he knows the systems, he knows the defensive structure. He knows how to uh, play under Dallas Aikens after having a year under him. So I, I think it gives you someone there. And I think the Ducks also probably feel comfortable with the fact that if something happens to Miller, if he gets hurt, um, something happens because of his, uh, his age, I think they're also probably confident Anthony Stolarz to step in and take a couple of those yeah, games off of Jim, John Gibson right there. Yeah, this is a much better situation for Anthony Stolarz. I, I, there were people getting in my mentions about how the Ducks need to give Stolarz, hand him the baton, but... It's a lot to ask of a guy who, with his relative inexperience, to jump in there and, and be a regular backup. I think that this is a lot better for him. But getting back to what you were saying about the chemistry perspective, people tend to underestimate how much chemistry and understanding of a system is important, even for a goalie. You would think, well, wherever a goalie goes, his job is the same, right? Just stop the puck. It doesn't matter who's around him. But understanding how your defensemen operate, what their tendencies are, if they're going to cover the back door or if they're going to play the shot or the pass or all these different things actually do add up. And it's important for a goalie to know these things. And so that's why you see goalies who perform well on one team, they go to another team, different structure and things change a little bit. I mean, it's not to the same degree, but we saw Frederick Anderson have to adjust a little bit right after going from Anaheim to Toronto. And I think for Ryan Miller, he can just, you know, he doesn't have to miss a beat. He comes in Yeah 
knows all the guys, knows all the guys he's playing behind, uh, doesn't hasn't played with Kevin Shattenkirk. Actually, I think he did in St. Louis. He may have. I don't know. He, he may have. Potentially, but, yeah. But but the point is, he knows he has very high familiarity with this roster, like you said. Understands what Dallas Aikens is trying to accomplish, and I think that it's it's just a perfect situation, and, really. And, and I think not only knows what the system's going to be, but also kind of on that same note, the defense knows um, what he wants and how to play in front of him. Because as I think back, one story that, that comes to mind is one that I can remember being told about J.S. Shiger that he has, he notoriously would tell defensemen not to go down to block shots that he thought if they went down to block a shot, that it could cause a deflection and was made his life more difficult. He would rather them stay out of the way and leave the shot to him that it's not their job to be a goalie, yeah. it's his job. Little, and, little, little stuff like that. It, it does add up mm-hmm. for for goaltenders. And yeah. so, and so, it, and so, if the mm-hmm. defense understands how Ryan Miller wants to be wants them to play in front of him, that's helpful in that sense also. And so, this is an accelerated season. If you can have a team, if the Ducks are truly trying to be competitive uh, this season, and we we've talked about a bunch in the past over kind of our doubts about that, but if they are all in going in that direction, what you have to have is familiarity because. In a short season with a short training camp, the team that can gel the quickest is probably going to be the team that gets off to a hot start. And when you're dealing with a 56-game season, if you can get to a hot start and build somewhat of a lead over other teams you're competing with, that can be enough for you to make the playoffs off of. Like You you would need a catastrophic collapse in order to blow that. And so if you can get off to that hot start by having two goalies that can play back-to-back and be give you extremely good goaltending as a result that's beneficial for the Ducks team and one thing i want to point out briefly on ryan miller is that even though yes his save percentage last year was was not good it was a 907 a pretty decent drop from the 912 this season before and the 928 from two seasons prior to that and so one thing i want to bring up is gsax and this was something actually pulling from our interview we had with kat silverman a couple weeks back but she had mentioned that with the issue with GSAX is sometimes it, it's not that reliable for comparing goalies to goalies, but it is a good tool when you're comparing a goalie to himself in prior seasons because then you can see how he performed. So that 928 season, obviously, he was GSAX, a goal saved above expected, 15 goals saved above expected. He was phenomenal that year. Two years ago, 2.44. Last season, 0.07. So even though last year was a bit of a uh, drop back, it wasn't that different from his eighteen nineteen campaign. And he wasn't he wasn't necessarily sinking the ducks either. He would just exactly. Wasn't, he just wasn't a plus that we've seen exactly. And all and also, I did want to vindicate myself quickly. Uh, Ryan Miller did play with Kevin Shattenkirk the one there you go season the thirty three games he spent with the St Louis Blues. Remember when that happened? So mm-hmm. yeah, Three I times. think overall. Just to put a bow on this, it's a great signing. It's maybe even possibly the best signing they could have made if you just put Ryan Miller into that UFA pool. And I think that even though last year was a down season, I think the Ducks, once again, should be looked at as having one of the better tandems in the NHL going into the season, especially behind an improved blue line. Yep, definitely. Completely agreed. So... Good news there for the for Ducks fans. Ryan Miller is going to have one last go at it with this franchise. Um, Who knows? I, I mean, he, maybe, he might, maybe he might just keep going. Maybe <laughs> I, I if I were a betting man though, I'd probably put bets on this being his probably. last season. Probably. So having said that, now that we've talked about it a little bit, but the schedule was announced, and oh boy, it's going to be so much fun. So um, 
as we mentioned last week, the divisions were confirmed. The Ducks are going to be in a division with uh, Vegas, San Jose, L.A., uh, Arizona, Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota. Um, I didn't miss anyone there, did I? I think, I think uh, that... Arizona, Colorado, L.A., Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, Vegas. Yep. So I think I covered okay. all those. So, But the schedule is going to be a lot of fun. So here's the thing. It's a 56 Why is game. that? 56, Why is that? 56 games. Over the span uh, from January 14th is the start, with the end being May 8th. And almost every single game in this season is going to be a two-game series. This is almost like a baseball hybrid baseball hockey schedule, where instead of you going to, I don't know, you fly to Minnesota, you play in Minnesota, then you go to Winnipeg afterwards, you play in Winnipeg afterwards, and you're basically going along this kind of geographical path with uh, teams nearby each other, but you're only playing one game out there. Um, instead what they're doing to, to limit travel, limit every kind of issue that can happen with COVID, um, what they're, the NHL is doing is most of the games are going to be two game series. So if the ducks fly out to Minnesota, they're playing two games there. There is only one game this year. That's a standalone game. And that's a single game against the LA Kings. The rest of them are all either two or more game series. I believe the ducks have one, which might as well be a home game. If you're yeah. the Ducks. <laughs> yeah. And I believe, let me see when that game it, occurs. Uh, I believe that game occurs. Yeah. So that game occurs when the Ducks are at home. So it's not as if there's. Oh, a, yeah. The, the <laughs> but Ducks even are, if they were, even if it was away, true. just saying hypothetically. Yeah. yeah they're not but, even flying. Well, no, but they're, the point of doing this is so you don't have to travel as much. So if you were somewhere, yeah. somewhere like in St. Louis had to fly back for a game in LA and then fly back out, that kind of defeats the purpose. Whereas this yes. works out well where the Ducks play. So the Ducks play Saturday, Sunday against St. Louis. And then Wednesday at LA, then Friday, Saturday against San Jose at home. So it's a five should, game. It's a five just, game uh, Southern California stand, basically. Should we just should we just uh, get into the the best part of all of this? Yes. So that so is it five games in a row? It is. So here's how it actually shapes out. So it is five games in a row, I believe, for the Ducks. But it's not five games in a row for the Kings, I believe. Let me confirm that. But so oh, okay. starting okay. on Tuesday, April 20th. Yeah, this is why. So the Ducks play Tuesday, April 20th at LA. Then the next game is Monday, April 26th. So they have a, almost a full week off until their next game, Monday, April but, 26th at LA. Then so when, the Ducks play their last five games against the Kings? Uh, no, not their last five games. They're, it's five in a row and then there are four games left after that oh sorry okay yeah but they play five games in a row against the kings correct so it is which uh so whereas the kings (laughs) the kings though the here's the thing with it is that so between that tuesday and monday where it's almost a full week off the kings play a couple games against another team i believe so the kings only have four straight games against the ducks as compared to the ducks having five straight against the kings if that makes sense, i love this it i love so good and i think I mean, here's a theory that was thrown out to me, and I, I think there is some valid or some validity to it that the reason because there were people out there that were complaining, saying, why would you put this so late, especially with the fact that these two teams may be out of it by then, all this different type of stuff. It's I think it's pretty clear what the NHL is trying to do here. They are putting the Ducks and Kings on this five game schedule late in this or five games in a row or five games against each other late in the season because they have made it clear that they want to have fans in the building as soon as uh, places allow it, basically. 
and, and meet CDC guidelines. And so if there is potential in late April, early May for Southern California to have fans inside the stadium, then they can have Ducks Kings in front of fans. And so I think that's what they're trying to get at here. And there's also the potential, we brought this up, that the Ducks and or the Kings were one of the teams that reached out to the league about doing games outside. And so there's potential that they are thinking these five games in a row, there's not travel. Both teams are playing on the outside crappy ice and they're, it's just the five games against each other and that's it. And it allows Ducks and Kings fans to go to a game. Yeah. And, and so I, I, that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me that that's the even reason if, why. Even if we don't get any of those things, no outdoors, no uh, fans, it's still going to be great spectacle because these teams already dislike each other despite them falling out of really competitiveness in the last couple of years. But the, the games have still been entertaining. There's still a lot of physicality. There's still a lot of bad blood. And I think particularly for the Ducks, five games in a row against the same opponent, it's going to well, be a lot of fun. And, and of course, I mean, if, I think that by that point, there's a decent chance that there will be fans even in California because we're talking about late April here. So it's certainly in play. And if you can get any fans in there in any capacity, it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be. And I think the other thing that could be intriguing for Ducks and Kings fans is if both teams are out of the mix at this point in time, there can be it could be basically the prospect show. It's going to be Zegras and yeah. Turcotte potentially going against each other and them getting prominent roles at that point. We'll, we'll talk about those two. Exactly. Don't worry. But um, cir- circling into the part of the schedule that I really think is um, important for this Ducks franchise. First off, um, let me just run through what they have in terms of um, uh, what the Ducks have listed as kind of things of importance. The, so just to lay it out there for everyone, there will be 12 two-game series on the road, 14 two-game series at home. Uh, the Ducks will play the Kings in a single game on February 3rd, as well as a three-game series starting on April 20th at Staples Center, which is part of a five-game series ending with two games in Anaheim in April, on April 30th and May 1st. Anaheim will have 27 weekend dates, including 11 Friday night games, 11 Saturday night games, and five Sunday contests. So here's one of the, the things that I that intrigues me about this. We're going to get Saturday games. The Ducks never play on Saturdays. The Ducks are the the typical fr- uh, typical Sunday team. The I mean, the, always how it had worked because it was always playing back to backs, and it wasn't these two game sets. Was that the Kings got the team on Saturday? They would potentially be on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, Saturday night game, and the Ducks had the the standard five p.m. Sunday game. And so this year. That's not the case. The Ducks, because you have these two-game series, the Ducks are playing 11 times on Saturday. It's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. And it's one of the things you and I have talked about where Saturday night games are fun. And it's going to be exciting to see the Ducks in more of them. Yeah, I mean, Saturday night is hockey night. Yeah, so ex- exactly. <laughs> I'm For me, Saturday night, I associate that with watching a hockey game. So it's always been odd for me to have to see the Ducks on Sundays as opposed to Saturdays, because I grew up watching hockey on Saturdays like every kid out there. And so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for it. I'm just a big fan of the schedule as a whole. It's going to foster rivalries. It's going to make it – it's just going to give it a different feel. I mean, if nothing else, it's just something new. It's something different than what we've had in the past. Oh. And I think that getting that added rivalry element is going to be more important or is going to be more interesting than seeing – 
a one-off against a team from another conference, for example. But well, it, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there are some people who would rather see, it, you know, Austin Matthews, but that's just me. It, it's funny because this is kind of similar, not similar, but somewhat similar to how the schedule used to be. I can remember, I think, 05, 06, and 06, 07, the way the schedule shook out. Yep. I believe it was, it, there were a lot more divisions. I think it was three divisions yep. each conference. And you played, it was five teams in you, each you, division. You didn't, you, you didn't play every team in the league. No, you would uh, you would not play every team in the league. You would play every team in your division six times. And so that was a lot of games against the Kings, a lot of games against the Sharks. And then you would play teams from the other divisions. And I forgot how, uh, in your uh, conference, and I forgot how many times. And I think you would only play one division from the other conference. And it was just one game against that other division. And yeah, so I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of crossover west to east, but you got a lot more games against a single team. And weirdly, the team that I can remember absolutely hating as a Ducks fan that from in division uh, back in that time, and it makes sense. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't the Kings. The Kings were awful then. Um, and weirdly, I don't remember really disliking the Sharks that much. The team I remember hating back then was the Stars. Because the stars were good. I mean, the stars had that yeah. was Turco, and so that I mean, you played you played them six times, and it got some hatred going. And you see these same teams, and I think you're gonna get some of that. I mean, Ducks fans are gonna become real familiar with uh, Nathan McKinnon, with uh, Miko Ranson, with all of these things, and so it, it's gonna be fun to see. Well, I think that the the biggest thing that a, a league like the NHL and to a, to the same degree, the NBA struggle with teams with long regular seasons. I mean, baseball is a little different, but I think that it's hard to make the regular season really matter because you know, they, we the NHL hypes up the playoffs so much. It's all about the playoffs. It's all about the cup, right? That's been one of the slogans in the past. And so I think that making the regular season, just even if it doesn't necessarily hold more weight, in terms of the overall picture, just making the games feel like they're more important, giving them more of an edge is is really critical to keep the fan bases engaged throughout the entire process because there are teams that are out of it pretty early, but keeping the games at least interesting and have some bad blood going, that's, that's what sells. That's what's important. And uh, I don't know if this kind of schedule is necessarily tenable in the long term. I don't know if I would want this every year, but I wouldn't mind some version of this with more of a divisional skew each year as opposed to just getting every single team. I think that this could be more entertaining than just being able to check the box that you got to play against all other teams, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, so one thing I want to highlight here, and I want to run through this, is the first 10 games for this Ducks team. Because I think... Oh, boy. Let me let me know if you agree or disagree with this. Oh the boy. first 10 games are critical for this team. If you get off to a, a poor start, you could sink your season in a 56-game season. If, if you go 2-8 I mean, you, you in your same, first 10. The same could be true for an 82-game season, but continue. But if you go 2-8 two and, two and eight in your first 10 games in a purely divisional format, I mean, I guess the only benefit to a purely divisional format is you're going to have the games against those teams to make it up. So yes. if, if you go down, that is other one thing I hadn't thought about. But one fun thing about this format is you're going to be playing the teams you're chasing. It's not as if 
Like when you're normally looking for a playoff spot and you're trying to get a wild card, you're maybe fighting, I don't know, with Nashville, for instance. You don't play Nashville at all the rest of the season. You're hoping they lose and you win. Well, you're gonna uh, you're gonna have a lot of direct games against teams to be able to make up ground. But let's run let, through the let, first. Yeah, 10 let's games. hear those first ten. Yeah. So the Ducks start on Thursday, January fourteenth at the Vegas Golden Knights. Then they play Saturday at Vegas. Next game will be Monday versus Minnesota. So at home, Wednesday that was Monday, January eighteenth. Wednesday, January twentieth at home against Minnesota again. Friday, January twenty second at home against Colorado. Sunday, January 24th, at home against Colorado. Tuesday, January 26th, against at Arizona. Thursday, January 28th, at Arizona. Saturday, January 30th, versus St. Louis. Sunday, January 31st, versus St. Louis. So if I'm Ooh. doing, if I'm looking at this correct, the Ducks only have one game off, or one day off, between every single game, and then the final yep. two games in the stretch are all back-to-back. Yeah, I think it's it's something like fifty six games in a hundred and yeah. something days. There's a, there's a, digits. There's a lot yeah. of single days off. There's a couple. I think there's one or two two days off. There's one or two three days off, and then weirdly there's like a six day off. This this will not be a marathon. This will be sprinting a yeah. marathon. So if that makes. Sense. I mean, there you have it. The Ducks are playing eight of their ten against who you and I believe are the four top teams in the division. And yeah. with they're, Arizona they're, still potentially being a good team, who knows where Arizona there's ends really, up? There's really no, I mean, it's both a function of the Ducks and also the schedule, but there are no gimmies in that no. first 10. There, There's no San Jose's or LA's in there. Maybe Minnesota comes out flat. Maybe that they have a hard time. Maybe that their rookies don't adjust early on. I think Arizona is going to be the the games that they have to win in there. You're probably hoping for splits against Colorado and Arizona, but that's we're going to find out pretty quickly what these Ducks are capable yeah. of. And uh, good, yeah. <laughs> Why exactly. not? Why wait? <laughs> I mean, if you're a Ducks fan, if you're the general manager, if you're anything, well, the, out, if you're anything mm-hmm. higher up on uh, from a fan or from a a GM, this is what you want. This but, is what we talked about. But by the same token, I think it's going to be really important not to overreact either way from that first time. Agreed. Games. Agreed. Yes, they are going to be playing against tough teams. Yes, these are the teams that they are kind of comparing themselves against in the league and the Western Conference or that they hope to, to be able to beat on a consistent basis. But let's see how it plays out. I think that we're going to get more into this later regarding the World Juniors, but we can't. You know, we've been deprived of hockey for months now. <laughs> we have to we have to remember small samples can trick us into thinking things that may not be true. So just warning everybody, if the Ducks come out flat and they lose a bunch of games to start, let's not necessarily write them off. If they if, if nothing is going well in their game, then yeah, maybe dig deeper into that. But if they're losing tight games, things of that nature, give it a little time. And I think kind of that's the point that I think is going to be important to for us to to look at is this is where looking at underlying numbers is going to be so important because yeah the duck the ducks may come out those 10 games and this may be a situation where they put themselves in a good spot to make the playoffs or they bury themselves but mm. what is their play actually and i think it's going to be a good litmus test to see where they're at because you're going to be able to see against these top teams and some of these are, are really good teams at five on five where they're going to be regardless of the results. And I think that's something basically we'll be able to see what the process is, which which in a 10 game sample size, you're not going to know really what your end result is because we've talked about this before, but 
in a smaller sample size, goals for percentage is not a good indicator of future goals for percentage. And by that, I mean the goals for versus goals against in those 10 games yeah. is not a good indicator of if you're a good team or not. Yeah, What's a better indicator about- is the smaller, the, the shot-based metrics because you have a bigger sample mm-hmm. size. So it uh, levels out the variances. Well, also just think about it just logically if, you know, forget the stats, a puck can bounce so many different ways, right? There are so many things it can hit a skate, hit sticks, hit posts. And so much randomness can happen in one game and you can't judge everything off one game. And so 10 games and if even in a 56 game season, you can't draw a ton from that either because so much can happen. You need more information to make, you know, big conclusions and so and sometimes even a whole season isn't necessarily enough i mean that's kind of the that's what people hate about hockey stats is that we they they get the sample comments all the time and they're frustrated but we have to be patient with teams look at the tampa bay lightning for example i mean now this is a total aside but if they had chosen to just can you know be harsher on themselves earlier on and blowing up their roster maybe they wouldn't have won the stanley cup last year so yep exactly you got to be patient but you also, I mean, it's it's this very weird balance and dichotomy where you both have to be patient and you also have to be ready to pull the plug when you see that it's not working out. So it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I have it's no a, idea it, what to expect from the NHL as a whole. I have no idea what to expect from the Ducks. I mean, I, I, nothing that the Ducks do this season would could really shock me unless they become like, you know, Stanley Cup contenders. From a nothing, more, sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, no, I, w- I was just going to finish the thought, but just saying that this is going to be a very wild ride, and I'm absolutely here for it. From a, a global NHL perspective, I believe the least amount of games we have between the start and end of the season is, like, three games. I think every single day has at least three games on it. Like, oh, okay. It, did I say – what? did that make any sense? No, yeah. Yeah, okay. it did. Uh, yeah, so it it's going to have a lot of games, and it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot to watch every night, and I think that's what I'm most excited for is this is going to be a great year if you are thinking about getting NHL TV to do go it. ahead and do that because if you enjoy hockey like we do and not just watching the Ducks, there's going to be a lot of hockey to watch, a lot of fun games to watch because you're going to have that familiarity. You're going to get a lot of Toronto against uh, Edmonton, a lot of Austin Matthews versus Connor McDavid, and you know that the narratives are going to be going in those games. Um, and so it's going to be a lot of fun overall from from a big perspective. You get the Canadian division where you have these uh, some teams playing up to 10 games against each other, um, nine games for, for other ones. So you're going to get a lot of games against uh, – some teams, uh, local rivals, you're going to have the central division, which, uh, the central division is the stacked one, if I'm remembering correctly. And then the, the East is the one that's, uh, kind of up in the air completely, uh, with who knows yep. how that's going to pan out. Yeah. You're going to get Andre, Andre Sveshnikov versus Braden point eight times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he less name brand, but yeah, it's just going to be different. It's going to be fun. I think that variety is always fun in the short term. Yep. And so, and I, I love the fact that it's purely divisional for the playoffs for this year. I just I, I think, still don't I understand why the Canadian division is named the North division. Is, is there like a sponsorship thing going on? True who North? Knows? Like who knows what's going on there? Anyway. Speaking of which have the ducks announced speaking of sponsors have the ducks announced their helmet sponsor yet. Nope. I mean, I, I was, I was in tran you know, it's funny <laughs> two weeks in a row. Now I was en route today or was this two weeks ago? Yeah. Two weeks ago I was driving. Uh, up to NorCal, and this week I was driving back home down to SoCal, 
and I was not paying attention to news today. So unless it happened today, I can confirm that there is no announcement on that. The, the latest news that we got is that they're sorting it out. That was the Eric Stevens report earlier in the week. And so we don't know yet if the Ducks, well, we're, we don't know yet who they're going to have on their helmet. I mean, helmet if, sponsor. if we can look at what other teams are doing uh, throughout the, the NHL, yeah, it's probably going to be Honda. It's probably yeah. Amanda. The arena sponsor seems to be the 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 winners so far, and I mean for the Ducks, take the highest bidder. I mean it's it's pretty simple. I don't I don't know what else to to say there. Get yep. take the money and run. Exactly. There are people who are not fans of uh, of helmet ads. Personally, I personally I I, I I look I understand. No one wants to be subjected to more ads than they already are. It's, you know, we're flooded with ads in every corner of our lives. It feels, but for hockey, when I'm watching a game, it's just not going to matter. It really isn't going to matter. It's, it's going to so, be, it's going to be yeah. like ads on the boards at, at a certain point. You're just not going to notice and it's going to be feel normal to you. Yeah. But I will say like, the, I hope that this is kind of, we're not going to get too much more intrusiveness. You know, if, if we get a Jersey patch, like the NBA has, hopefully that'll be the end of it. Nobody wants a, a Europe situation, but I don't think it'll get yeah. there. I think I made I think I made my point, uh, my stance last episode clear on this. I'm good with it. Label it. Oh up yeah, that's right. We are, did we talk about this in the last yeah, pod or the yeah, Patreon pod? I think last okay. episode we did. Okay, sorry. They're they're, they're blending together. It, it's yeah, it happens. It happens. We've done a lot of episodes in the last week or so with the two Patreons back to back, basically. Um, yeah, so, and I think that the helmet ad's fine. The only bummer from it, for me, on a kind of personal level, is I would have loved to see the Mighty Ducks logo on the helmet again. Um, but if they're that, doing the that, Honda logo, then that will be there probably instead of it. That is the one bummer, is that what logo a team would use on its helmet was kind of always interesting to see when yeah. you introduce a new jersey, and so now we're not going to get that. But yep, the show will go on. Yep, exactly. So, all right, time to jump into World Juniors talk. Yes. So unless, unless you've, well, I, I shouldn't say unless you've been under a rock because people are celebrating with their families, celebrating the holidays. If you haven't been watching the world juniors, if you haven't been tuning in, let me just put it this way. Trevor Zegras, who we've talked about on this podcast ad nauseum, the ninth overall pick for the Anaheim ducks in the 2019 NHL draft has been lighting it up through, well, one game, in the two. in the tournament well two one so one game that was not the an actual tournament game it was uh i guess an mm-hmm. exhibition game against finland and then one game against austria or sorry all, two games two games so, russia russia and uh austria yeah sorry i'm getting them mixed up with canada you're all good you're all yeah. good point being russia and austria yep so trevor zegris has been looking real good and yeah. it's kind of kind of catching the world by storm a little bit. You know, you have so many different people talking about Zegras online. You see highlights going up of him. And, I mean, it's all a credit to him. He's been making it all happen. So I think before we get into the nitty-gritty of that and the the analysis, I think we should just get it out of the way that it's just exciting. It's exciting yeah. for the Ducks to have a prospect that the world kind of has their eyes on him right now, a prospect who is doing it the way that I think you would want to see a prospect do it. Just purely skilled. Yep. So talented with the puck on his stick, a little swagger too, as we've seen. Ah, and it's we'll get just, into that. It's just good for the game. 
I, I think it, and I think the style of play that he plays with is exactly like you said, it's what you want to see if you're a fan of a team, especially a fan of a, a Ducks fan who, um, the Ducks need, need elite talent and to see someone who can handle the puck like him. And I think the other important thing is to see his game evolve. Um, and, and for, for that to happen and for all of us to kind of see that happen in front of our eyes. And now granted, it's been a long time off for him and he's been off since what March and he had a full college season from last world juniors, but to see that evolution take place and come through with this tournament versus last tournament is huge because last world juniors was really, really good for him also, by the way, just wanted to jump in. It is three games. So it's Finland, Russia, and then Austria. Okay. Yes, yes. The you were Carry, correct that they they had a pre-tournament game. Carry you were right there. Carry um, on. And, but to see his game develop and for it to evolve, where last season or last World Juniors, he was mainly kind of seen as a distributor with his primary assists, and everyone was kind of talking about that and all, and hyping him up as this great distributor, and, and no one really talked about his his shot necessarily. And it's one of those things where I remember looking at someone posted some data from uh, his time at BU. And he had a pretty lethal shot and was getting it off in some pretty high danger areas and had scored some goals. And he probably would have scored more um, had he continued to get those types of looks. And so I, I know we're jumping into a bit of analysis here, but I think the, the yep. really fun thing right now is that we're seeing this development and seeing him bring those tools and showing that on this grand stage to everyone that he's not just a playmaker. He can also shoot the puck. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a pop quiz here. Are you ready for this? Sure. <laughs> so, which Zegras highlight is your favorite so far? Spinorama backhand pass against Finland in the first exhibition game. Snipe from the point, then staring down the bench, the, the opposing bench against Russia to bring USA within, I believe, two at that point, two or one. I think it was um, one. But yeah, I, yeah it, was, it was one late in the third. So, that's your option two. Or the third... I'm just going to give you a combination of the short side roof slash shooting at a weird angle against Austria. One of his, I believe three goals two. in that game, two goals. So pick your favorite highlight so far. So mine's not the one that mine's not one you said. Okay. Mine is the other goal against Austria where I did. I did say it. You did. Sorry. Sorry. I, I was looking at the Twitch chat. I was getting, <laughs> getting covered there but it, it was the the that um that goal against austria it was not the one where he went short side high it's the one where he went across the net because the short side high one came when he was coming down the left wing and if i'm remembering correctly trevor zegras is the left-handed shot um mm-hmm. so he's shooting from kind of the left side of his body yes it's a very difficult shot no doubt and that one is up there in terms of difficulty skill level for a shot um the obviously the goal against russia a really great shot for him to find the net put it through a bunch of bodies and get it basically into the perfect corner but the goal against uh austria that i really love is the cross net shot where he's kind of dragging the puck with him to his right and he shoots the puck to his left and it's not an easy shot at all yes there was a lot of space because the goalie had kind of moved over but the goalie moved over because of how hard of a shot that is to make so the goalie's really playing the percentages and really sliding across to cover a short side and zgras notices that and takes his shot and is able to drag it shoot uh the opposite way and go perfect shot bar down corner and just the skill that it takes 
to recognize that space and that's what's given to you and basically shot selection and shoot it to that side of the net in sort of short instead of short side high because the short side high shot is so much easier um but the execution and, and that's where what i'm seeing here is that it's not just his ability to pass the puck it's that shot recognition and that ability to place it exactly where he wants it is just it's so insanely skillful, and it's one of the things that has me most excited because, yes, he's shown us already that he can be a distributor of the puck, but it's his shooting talent that I think is on display so far this tournament. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about that shot is that we often talk about how Austin Matthews is so good about changing the angle yeah. of his shot as he's releasing it, and you kind of get a similar play here from Zegras because he gets it on his on his forehand, but he's his body is starting to shift towards the corner of the ice yeah. and he's in the right circle as a left-handed shot. And he puts all of his weight on his inside leg. So the, the leg that's closest to a stick as a left-handed shot, and he's able to send it far side. But before he releases it, if you're looking at it from the goalie's vantage point, you would probably guess that he's going to go short side because yep. that's the most kind of natural shot for him to take from that body position but he sends it against the grain or he sends it far side and the goalie looks completely out of position here. And the goalie for Austria was not, was not bad at all. I mean, he made some tremendous saves in that game and I mean, yeah. they pulled him after Austria had already let up like 60 something shots. So yeah. it's not like he's beating some terrible goalie. Of course it's not, you know, it's not an NHL goalie, so you don't want to take too much away from it, but it shows being able to fire off that kind of shot tells me about Zegras that he studied what, you know, the art of shooting that he studied how to get shots off beyond just getting a stronger shot beyond getting a quicker shot. What we know now about the NHL and shooting is that it's a lot more than just having the hardest shot or even the quickest shot. You have to disguise your release. You have to have a certain body language before you're, you're getting it off. So the fact that he's been able to do that and he's also been able to score like the the shot against Russia, I mean, that was just a textbook wrist shot from the point. Yep. I mean, there, there really wasn't anything to it, but it had the accuracy, it had the power, and it beat the goalie cleanly, albeit with a screen. So, but yeah, well, I, think, I, th- I think what's most exciting about his game and all of this is that there's just so many facets to it. And, 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 and that's something that maybe people weren't aware of last year. And- and every goal is being scored in a different way, like you said. The three goals are that shot from the point with the wrist shot against Russia. You have the misinformation goal, which I think that's a good way to put it, of sending the the goalie the wrong direction and putting it the opposite way. And there's the short side high goal where it's just a perfect placement of a shot that beats a goalie clean. And, and I think they're all very different. They all score in different ways. And being able to do that is so important once you make the jump to the NHL. And so I, I think that is the, the exciting thing. And then he's, I mean, l- let's not forget, he also has two assists so far yeah, in the tournament and, also. And he's, like he's still generating he, chances for his line mates. And he could easily have more than two assists. I mean, he, he, has, he yeah, he, he's setting guys up left and right. I mean, and the thing is, his is, the thing with Zegers' passing is that you know, passing is one of those things where, you know, we all know what a great shot looks like. We can all appreciate a great shot. We can all appreciate a, a rush up ice, but passing requires a certain level of creativity that you just don't see coming when it happens. And with him, he just defines that he there's passes where he's looking off his defender, getting it across the seam. 
there's passes where he's coming down the uh, on the wing on the rush and does a spinorama backhand across the ice. He has every single pass in his arsenal. I mean, he, this is now an unrelated, but at one point in the game against Austria, he tried to do the Sveshnikov move behind the net, the lacrosse move, and he had a defender on him and couldn't pick the puck up all the way. So he's just he's just it, extremely talented, if nothing else. It's very rare for you to see him try a pass and for it to not find a USA stick also. And I think that's something where even if the puck's not being put in the net, he's finding guys with his passes. Yeah, he is. And and he's finding them in, in dangerous areas. It's yeah. not, the, these passes are not, uh, you know, they're not just puff passes. They're, they're getting to areas where guys can score and he's giving his teammates opportunities. So, uh, you know, I could sing his praises for another hour because just of what we've seen in these three games, but I think it's important to add some perspective to this conversation yep. because I don't blame anyone. I don't begrudge anyone for being extremely excited about what you've seen. I think that it's worth being excited because what I think I appreciate about Zegers's performance so far is that he's really checked the boxes in every game. So the game against Finland looked good against, you know, I would say a decent level of competition against Russia. He didn't have a great game against Russia before the goal. I thought that that was definitely his least impactful game, but he was still yep. noticeable. He was still yep. out there getting his touches, getting mm-hmm. his line mates, the puck, and then he gets the late goal. So right there. And also Czech Republic is up two zero against Russia late in the third. Anyway, aside is over, but the point is he performed well against a really tough team in Russia. And then against Austria, he just, he kind of just had fun if we're being honest. So he's doing everything you want and there's, and it's good to be excited about that. But if we're zooming out a little bit, let's, let's cool the break. Let, let's pump the brakes a little bit on anointing him as, yeah. you know, the, the, the prospect that everybody missed on as, you know, this guy who's surefire star, things of that nature. I think that it's good to be excited, but it's also important to remember that the world juniors is a small sample against totally different levels of competition anything can happen during that that stretch and it's just you saw what happened with troy terry right i mean people got really excited about his world Mm -hmm. junior performance rightfully so they were excited but then i think that that may have set him up for a little disappointment early on and now he's kind of climbed back from that a little bit but i think with zgris the possibility is there if you're for disappointment if your expectations aren't properly aligned Yep, I, I completely agree, and I think that people need to kind of realize that he's not going to jump into the NHL and do this right away. He's not. Th- this is against his peer group. This isn't against guys of a similar uh, of a of an NHL caliber. These are all guys that are nineteen, uh, eighteen, and nineteen years old. And I think that's the perspective that needs to be had. Having said that, I think what you can take away from this is that if he continues this, we now have two straight World Juniors from him with really good performances. And that once he develops into a full-blown NHLer and he's going against his peer group, then he's going to be in very good, uh, a very good position to have success if he's able to perform like he has at these World Juniors. And I think that should be kind of the takeaway from this is that one that the development path is there for him. You know what I've really struggled with is yeah. coming up with a comparison for Zegris. It's hard. Like just a, a player because he reminds me of different players. And if I were to mention them all, for example, in a tweet, it would look like I'm just completely overblowing what he's done so far. By the <laughs> way, I, I want to mm-hmm. go ahead. 
Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say there's players, there's really good players in the NHL who reminds me of like he, like I talked about Austin Matthews earlier. I think he has a little bit of that. I think his passing reminds me of Patrick Kane. I think that some of his speed reminds me a little bit of Matthew Barzell. Like there's just different elements in his game that really remind me of really good players in the NHL. I'm not saying that he's exactly like those guys or he's going to be as good as those guys, but he certainly has the skill level. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up here, it's kind of funny. I think you and I, I don't know if we did this, talked about this on the show, or if it was just something you and I talked about outside of the show through texting and various ways that we talk. Um, But looking at Byron Bader's hockey prospecting tool and comparing Trevor Zegras to Ryan Getzloff, there's a lot of comparisons that can be made there with the fact of Trevor Zegras's star probability is currently at 27%, but similar to Ryan Getzloff, he had very similar NHL E stats for his draft year and his draft plus one year. And then Getzloff just kind of exploded onto the scene in his draft plus three and, and really his star probability skyrocketed from there. And same did his uh, NHL probability. There is a, a path there for Zgress and he's going to have training from Getzloff to be able to make that jump. And I think that that comparison is somewhat interesting that, they, they started in a similar fashion, and no, they're not the same players at all. They're very different in the way that they use their skill sets. But Trevor Zegras is going to be able to be mentored by Ryan Getzloff, and I think that's a very kind of important factor here um, that will will really factor in. Um, one thing I want to bring up actually on Zegras, and I want to get your take on this to see if you noticed this. There were a lot of times where he was the first guy back-checking, where he got back into the zone and covered low, and Turcotte got back later. And so even though he is technically the winger on that line, it seems like outside of faceoffs, he's taking on some of the defensive responsibilities at various points. Um, I, it, it almost seems like it's a rotation between him and Turcotte there. And so I don't know if I would necessarily take away from this tournament that Zegras should be a winger because he's doing he's having some plays and having some defensive plays specifically that really kind of show what he can do as a center in the NHL. Yeah, I still want to see him at center, not really because of his defensive play, but I just think that the more you can have the puck on this guy's stick, the better. And at center, that's usually going to be the highest volume position. And so I would be curious to see him at center. I, here's what I, here's what I will say. This is maybe too big of a take after three world junior games, but I do want to see him get a, a real shot at the NHL. Once he comes out of this tournament, I think Agreed. the Ducks should definitely give him a chance because he's just so talented. He's so skilled. I mean, the thing about him is that he doesn't necessarily have the frame. He might not be the fastest, but he is extremely skilled and he seems to have good drive in his game. Just the emotion that he shows in the ice. He seems to care when he's out there. And I would just be curious to see already what that looks like on NHL ice against NHL competition. Just see it. Just get a feel for it. I think the Ducks... I know that you want the player to earn it out of camp, but I just, they should just give him a chance. They should just put him in the lineup to start the season. We we've all seen Sam Steele's game the last couple, last couple seasons. And while Sam Steele is a, I think will become a good NH serviceable to good NHL in the middle of the lineup. Mm -hmm. What would you rather have on your team? Someone with the skill set of Sam Steele, who is solid, I think is, is the best way to put it. He's not going to be this, uh, great creator and distributor of the puck. He's more so going to be a solid kind of middle six lineup guy. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather have a Trevor Zegras who has the ability to create something out of nothing? 
Well, I hate to say it's one or the other because I could see. No, I, mean? I, I agree. But I, I think yeah. that that's a, a good kind of person to come to, to put the, the line between because Adam Henrique's probably going to be in the lineup unless you put Adam Henrique on the wing, maybe. And that that's how you go with it. But still, it, it's just a comparison to kind of bring up is what type of player would you rather watch mm-hmm. during the season? Well, I should also mention Czech Republic just beat Russia. Big upset that's, for the world. That's interesting. That, that's really good for the U.S. <laughs> well, so what I will say is this. I think that Sam Steele, for all of his uh, accomplishments in junior, never showed this level of flash exactly. that, that we've seen from Trevor Zegras as a junior player where he excelled. Uh, Trevor Zegras is by far the most skilled prospect the Ducks have had in years. And I just want to see what it looks like in the NHL. I mean, that's really bottom line. If it means yep. take a Sam Steele out of the lineup for a handful of games, so be it. I think the Ducks owe it to themselves to find out if they already have something in this player. Because let's be honest, the Ducks are trying to make the playoffs. And if they have a guy who can potentially come in and give them a jolt offensively and help them right away, then there's really no use in waiting around and 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 taking this the slow route here get him in that lineup and see what he can do i i think if nothing else he'll he'll get those games but and and once the time comes to decide whether or not he, they'll do the entry level slide then we'll find out but i think that they will give him that opportunity even though of course they're going to say that he's going to have to earn it and whatnot yeah so real quick before we move on to, to talking about jamie drysdale in canada brief thoughts on the rest of the the three Ducks prospects on Team USA. So we've got uh, Sam Colangelo, and just so everyone knows, Colangelo was benched basically in the first game, I think is the best way to put it, against Russia. So and then, the, yeah, he played five and five minutes and change. So Yeah, and then in the second game, time. I mean, again, against Austria, he played more, but I think a lot of that more so has to do with the fact that the U.S. was up big, and so they were really trying to spread the, the minutes around. But a, a back-to-back, so yeah, they might so he played he played 12-30... Played 12-34 against Austria. Actually scored a goal also um, in that game and was able. It was actually on his birthday also, so good for him to score there. Um, I saw. I believe it was Charbonneau in our Discord chat said Sam Galangelo. Look, good for Sam Galangelo. Yeah, good nick. Good nickname by the way. But I can't say I've been really blown away by his game. I mean, he hasn't played a whole lot, so it's tough to really make any big uh, conclusions looked- there. He looks but, like a younger guy on this this roster that has a lot of kind of older older prospects. Well, he also just hasn't shown anything. You know, I don't see any speed. I don't really see any overwhelming skill. So I think, yeah, he's just finding his, his sea legs. And maybe, you know, if he's back on this team next year, we might see a little more out of him. But for right now, he's just more of a depth piece. And look, that's fine. This, this can still be a positive learning experience type tournament for him. And, I mean, getting a goal even if it's against Austria, who's definitely below the United States, is still, hey, you scored a goal in a big tournament. It's, it's still yep. something to hang your hat on. Yep, exactly. And so Henry Thrun. Henry Thrun against Russia so played is it 15. Th- so fi- is it Thrun or Thrun? Because they're saying... Be Thrun. Yeah, it's, but it's like very distinct. It's Thrun. Like it's yeah. two words almost. Well, I think Henry Thrun has been hit and miss for USA so far. In the Russia game, he had some pretty bad turnovers. I thought that overall, like for example, against Finland, he was moving the puck well, had some good kind of possession-preserving plays in the offensive zone. 
broke up some plays coming, you know, with guys coming down the wing against him one on one, but he hasn't stood out that much in the in the three games that USA has played. I think that um, he's, you know, you're kind of seeing what he is, and right now he's playing next to Jake Sanderson, I believe, and so there's a lot of deferring going on. You're seeing this with Jamie Drysdale as well, which we'll get into passing, you know, passing to the more experienced, uh, I guess, higher touted prospect and Thrun's playing fine, but I haven't really been blown away by his performance so far, both defensively and offensively. Yep. Although I believe last night's game, he was paired a bit with actually Cam York and Thrun actually yeah. led team USA in ice time, uh, in last night's game with 18, 19, uh, so, ice time and Cam York yeah. had eighteen ten. I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to say this, but I'm not taking away a ton from that game no, against Austria. No, 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 I agree. I agree. But it's going to – I want to see him against uh, not necessarily – obviously another competitive team to see if he's able to use kind of the, the game against Austria as kind of a springboard for him and his game because I think he was much better in the Austria game. I, uh, but then again, yeah, it's also against, Austria. So Yeah, I mean, they outshot them, what, 70 to 15? Yeah, 75 to 15? Amount. I let's be careful there. Agreed. And then there's Agreed. Jackson Lacombe, the other blue liner, the other Ducks prospect. I thought he just wasn't good at he all. He was very against not good. Russia. He, the, the, there's the no other way take, to put it. The biggest takeaway I have is his hands did not look good at all. It, well, it seemed like anytime he got a puck, it exploded off of his stick. I, and now I, granted, yeah. like we, we cautioned with Zgrass, this is a small sample size, one game, it is. one game so far. But the issue and my concerns with him is that, or is that the what we saw in this game kind of mimics what we've heard about him when he struggles. That this is kind of an issue and a flaw in his game, and we saw it last night or two nights ago in that game. And I think that is a concern of mine that this isn't necessarily a one-off. This is what we've seen from scouting reports on. Him. Well, what's confusing now is that if USA lost to Russia and Russia just lost to Czech, does that mean Czech is better than everybody else? Um, who we'll knows? We'll find but, out. World, but the world juniors are crazy. They are. But I think with run, or sorry, with, with Lacombe, yeah, it's tough because you, you read a scouting report on a player a lot of the time before you get to watch him, unless you're a professional scout. And so you are going to be influenced by what you've heard, but he had opportunities in that game against Russia to make plays. He had moments in the offensive zone where he had the puck on his stick and he had time to create plays. And against Finland, I believe he had one nice kind of cross seam pass, but against Russia, he had moments where really he could have made nice plays and he, just the reads weren't there. The feel for the game, the timing, um, really picking up on cues from the defense, from the coverage. It just wasn't there. And that is something that we've heard a lot about him is that he has the physical tools. He's a, he's got a good frame. He can skate well, but his hockey sense and his overall skill level just isn't really there. And so hopefully for him, that comes around. There's still plenty of tournament left. There's still time to make this work, but I just, I guess all I can really say is that in what I've seen from him in this tournament, so far, I, I haven't really been blown away at all. I agree completely. And, and it's, and it's not, again, not a referendum on any of these guys, just what we've seen so far. By the way, the Czechs can't be the best team in the tournament because Sweden beat them 7-1. to one. 
Oh, so then transitive property. Sweden is the best team in the tournament right now. Significantly so. And real quick, <laughs> we can we can bring up that uh, Ducks prospect before we move on to Dryzel. Abin Sunsvik was put in a prominent role to start that game, playing yep. playing with uh, Lucas Raymond and uh, Alexander Holtz, and ended up scoring a goal in the process. I don't know if I would read too much into this from yeah. uh, Alvin Sunsvik, but um, good on him for for scoring there. We both have our concerns with his game. Um, well, I, I watched that. Score. I watched that game, and he played a bunch. And I can tell why the Ducks like him. He's a bigger guy. He skates. He's got a kind of a long stride. He's he looks mm-hmm. powerful out there, and then he touches the puck. <laughs> and then you kind of understand why he was a six rounder, not a second rounder, with his physical repertoire and i think that you know the goal he scored nice tight angle rebound goal but uh yeah i'm not it was I'm a rebound not, it wasn't necessarily a goal it, it's a goal of i'm granted, not these I, these are these are important to score in the nhl but it's more right place right time than it is i'm not a touting play. yeah i'm not touting him as uh, a steal at, in the in the sixth round after that game putting it that yeah. way yeah yep so let's jump in to the other first round pick, high first round pick of the Ducks, and that is Jamie Drysdale, who played for Canada and just a short couple of hours ago played against Slovakia and two days ago played against Germany in the Canadian route of Germany, 16 to 2. I don't really know if there's a and whole lot played, we can. And they played Russia in the exhibition pre tournament, correct. And yeah. he's actually scored in that game. That's right. Yep. Um, but against uh, Germany, I don't know if there's too much we can take away from that game, similar to the USA Austria game where. Yeah, those are, those well, are throwaway games. That's, and, uh, and especially, and especially with Germany. Uh, well, and especially with the uh, defenseman. It's hard to re- like with a forward. At least you can somehow look at their well, playmaking well, ability, missing, see what they can do. Germany was missing eight guys, six yeah, guys, something something insane. Because so of COVID, so yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So I would say he had a quiet game against Germany. He didn't necessarily pop off the page against a team that a lot of other players on Team Canada were, but he was good. I I think he was solid. He was solid in his own zone. The only issue that you might have is he was deferring a bit too much for Bowen Byram. But in today's game against Slovakia, he actually won player of the game uh, awarded by the media. And I think it's actually a pretty fair reward. Um, he was noticeable today. And I would say he still had some issues of deferring to Bowen Byram a little bit. But I would say he jumped into the play a lot more in this game, got himself into the rush. And the one thing, and I think this is probably why he won player of the game, he was very solid in his own zone and very, very good defensively against transition play. And there were a couple times specifically where... One of the things I didn't actually expect from Jamie Drysdale, I expected the smooth skating defenseman who maybe he's not as good offensively as everyone's made him out to be, but he's much better defensively and he's good in his own zone. He kind of has that Cam Fowler knack of exiting the zone with the puck no matter what. Um, and, and that's something that's so important in a tournament like this is clearing the zone because one of the ways that you get burned in a junior tournament is by a mistake. And there are a lot of mistakes that can happen when you're dealing with younger players. But one of the things I didn't expect was physicality. And he showed it in this game, and he had a couple plays where he had a one-on-one against uh, a, uh, a Slovakian forward coming at him, and he used his body and, and put the guy into the boards with a very solid clean hit that separated the guy from the puck, and the puck just went into the zone uh, with no issues at all. Canada was able to get it and transition back to offense. And it's those types of plays that I didn't necessarily know he had in his game, but his ability to read the lane and cut that lane off in transition was really important. One player that we've seen from the Ducks do this so well 
and, and it's interesting to make the transition or the 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 comparison between Jamie Drysdale and him because we've made the comparison to Cam Fowler so much. But these plays reminded me a lot of what Hampus Lindholm does so well. It, Hampus Lindholm plays the body very in very smart fashions and does it with the distinct intent of separating the guy from the puck and does it in transition to stop entries from happening. And that's what Jamie Drysdale did in this game. And it really controlled the game for Canada and got the puck moving the other direction. And so it was, it's very interesting to think of that, that he could maybe be this hybrid player between Lindholm and Fowler, but that's kind of what I saw in this game. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch the game today, but I did watch the Russia game very closely, which is a pretty decent litmus test because Russia is a good team. You know, a lot of skill, well coached, at least <laughs> before today tonight's game. I mean, I'll, we'll have to rewatch that. But he had a couple plays where he, you know, like for example, there was one play in the beginning of the third period where he he turned it over. It was a pretty bad turnover drop pass that went directly to a Russian player coming out of his own zone. But then he got right back into the play, got really engaged physically, pushed the guy around, and eventually was able to clear the zone. And so, I think when you're coaching a defenseman, those are the kinds of those are the kind of things that you look for. You, of course, guys are going to make mistakes, especially a guy like Drysdale, who is going to touch the puck a lot. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to both make positive plays and potentially turn it over. What you're looking for as a coach is how does he react when he yeah. makes those mistakes. And on that particular play, of course, it's just one play out of a million, but he reacted very well. He showed that he gives mm-hmm. a damn, quite frankly, and that's important. And then on the other end of the, of the spectrum in that same game, made some nice plays with his feet in the offensive zone, moving yep. around, skating backwards, creating opportunities against the grain. And then of course he got a point shot to go through from his strong side and, and scored a goal. So I think overall with Drysdale, I don't want to use the term deferring as a negative. He's been passing it to the team captain or the, the acting captain of the team in some of these games, Bowen Byram and he, and Byram has, he's the guy with more pedigree, right? He's a, he he's a higher draft pick, I believe, fourth overall, fifth overall, and in his own draft class, of course. And he's the more tenured player, and he's he's been very good. So, I think if nothing else, it's probably smart of him to give that guy the puck whenever he gets the chance. But when he's had opportunities to be aggressive, he's also done that. So I think overall, even though Drysdale's performance isn't quite as exciting, not nearly as exciting as Trevor Zegers's, it's still solid in its own right. It's it's nothing to. Uh, to be dismayed about, even though the maybe I, the points haven't been there. Yeah, and I think I mean, take a take a look at the the player of the game. I mean, that is something that's kind of cool in these games that you get that that yeah. type of of look, and you prefer, have Zegers, prefer three stars, but neither fair here enough. Nor there. But but you have Trevor Zegers being named player of the game for the U.S. against Austria, and then you have uh, Jamie Drysdale being named player of the game for Canada against Slovakia, and I think yep. that that shows that his play, albeit maybe a bit more quiet than, than Bowen Byram, it was effective and noticed by mm-hmm. the media members uh, that voted along, uh, for that award. And I'll say this, he also was really effective at walking the blue line. Um, he he jumped into the play a bit more, again, in Slovakia, than, and so it wasn't as much deferring. But I think he does a really good job of covering for Byram because Byram jumps up a lot. Yeah. which means the other <laughs> defenseman has to be back covering. And so I think that's also one thing he's done well. And and he's shown his skating ability in that. In that yeah, uh, and, in and that to be piece. honest with you, on a stacked Canada team with so much talent and so much 
pop everywhere you look. I mean, they have more first rounders on that team than than Germany has their roster. Than Germany has players on its roster, and so I think Drysdale, he's just not going to be, uh, he's not going to be a star necessarily on this team. At least that's not his built-in role. So what you're looking for when you're evaluating his game is how is he fitting into that ecosystem? How is he making his team better? How is he finding ways to still be effective? And I think that he's checked all of those boxes so far, doing those little things. And now that he's done those little things, maybe gaining the trust a little bit of his teammates, hey, maybe we'll see more of that. Maybe the the player of the game will be a, a launching off point for him. But either way, he's he's passing every test. And as a defenseman, you need to be able to do all of these things. It's not just the flashy stuff that you know gets you on the highlight reels and gets people excited about you it's it's the little things that those coaches are going to pick up on so it's really positive for him and his development gotta say yeah yep agreed completely all right so um let me see real quick oh i guess is it selected by the team that player of the game i thought it was the media yeah i think it is the team Mm -hmm. so the team selects it so sorry um but yeah that that shows that it was noticed that uh respect of his teammates yeah exactly of his game that that they saw what he was doing in that game and same thing with zegras that his teammates saw how creative he was and that he was <laughs> he was the driver of the offense for them in that game yep okay well on uh, that note did you have anything else on the world juniors no i think i'm all good i'm excited for for the rest of the tournament um to see what the u.s and trevor zegras can do what canada and jamie drysdale can do i mean it's fun having players in prominent roles on the big teams yeah. i mean <laughs> if it, you're it goes if, if you're a if you're a ducks fan you're kind of spoiled right now because well, almost if every game <laughs> and, and if you're someone from southern california you're spoiled i mean i oh, think they they, yeah. they said this that it's uh what is it there's four ducks prospects and three three kings on team usa and in addition to that you have ryan johnson and cam york cam york is the captain both of them uh orange county trained matt gill or uh Sorry, Dustin Wolf. Is that the guy yep. uh, who's from Gilroy, California? Yep. Or born in Gilroy, California. So played for um, the Junior think, Kings. Yep. And played for the Junior Kings. So there's a whole lot of Southern California on this uh, on this team USA, and I think that's really fun to see if you're you're from the area. And so that that's fun. Obviously, if you're a Ducks fan, you also have Canada with Jamie Drysdale. If you're a Kings fan, there's a couple Kings prospects there. Yeah. So there, there's a whole lot we'll, to we'll, look at. Won't name them. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> but. And so it's exciting. It's going to be fun to watch. So let's get into some tw- questions from the Twitch chat, though. We got a couple here, so let's just blaze through them real quick here, and then we'll we'll be on our way. But if you those or for those of you watching the YouTube stream, yes, or YouTube video, we're on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com/slash/CrashThePond. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this on your favorite podcast services, yes, we're on Spotify. In addition to Apple Podcasts and everywhere else, um, we do a Twitch stream of the show each and every time. And you can find us at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. If you want to subscribe to the show, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. It is completely free to you with Amazon Prime and it helps out this show significantly. Also, if you just want to uh, give us a follow, then you'll be notified anytime the show goes live. So we'll get into some questions from the Twitch chat. So, hey, yo, Dflow asked this question Will Trevor Zegras end up being the best lottery pick from the 2019 draft? Uh, <laughs> I would bet, I would, I would say no right now because there's a lot of other guys that could be that. So it's hard to say one guy will be over, you know, <laughs> I mean, you have Hughes and Kako and, and so there's a whole yeah, lot there in terms of talent, Byron, but, 
Byram is in that group. So I think there is potential for him to be there's in the top def- three. There's definite potential. The thing is, we're still waiting on some guys in that group. Dylan Cousins, right? He had the injury issues to start off his career. Yep. So we'll see. But look, it's in play. I will say this. It's in play. I, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't write it off right now. Which which back when the draft happened, if you were to tell me Trevor Zegras has the potential to be the, the best player from that draft, I would have been shocked. And, and I, now it, it I, I and would now be it's curious kind of in the conversation. If there was a redraft, how many people would have Turcotte ahead of Seagrass right now? I don't, people I don't both think, in the industry and, you know, around the league, things of that nature. I don't think many. I think majority I would I would bet maybe the only player and now granted, Cousins may still be higher, but I think also going off the fact that he was injured so he didn't have any performance last year. I think based on the world juniors, based on the play in college, everything like that. I think more likely than not, you would maybe see Byram jump up to third just because of the, him being a defenseman, Cop, and then Caulfield. and then you would have Zegras after. I don't. I think the issue with Caulfield is this, or Caulfield is the same issue that people had back then, and he's still scoring, but he did that back then also. I think it's the size, yeah. thing, which is dumb. People it's just dumb. can't get over that. But but yeah. yeah, I mean, but I think right now people are still high on Turcotte, but he he just isn't. He isn't, I guess, lighting people's imaginations on fire like Seagrass is. It, it's hard he, to... He's it, vanilla. He's bland. He does things very well. I mean, he's a fine player, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's going to be interesting. It's 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 going to be something to monitor for sure. Yeah. And so Ginger Wolf asked us, any insight on how the fourth line, or on the fourth line, how will the long gem be resolved? One thing I want to bring up, we're going to get answers this week on training camp. We're, yeah, we're gonna Thursday. get answers for who gets invites. And Day now, one. granted, I assume everyone that we would expect to get invites. But you and I were looking at cap friendly re- or today and noticed that Jacob Larson is on COVID loan per there, and we haven't seen anything necessarily saying that he's back. And so we'll get answers from that this week because training camp opens. Yep, for the Ducks. So yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> As for the fourth line, my bet is the the safe bet. The, the usual it's suspects. Gonna be, it's gonna be uh, Deloria Rowney Grant. And if you if you get a David Backus in the lineup, it's not going to be on the fourth line. Not on the fourth line. Oh yeah. Oh, that is your hottest take of the day so far. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would. I would not be shocked if they play Henrique on the wing and put David Backus in the lineup at center, or played Backus on the wing. You know that wouldn't be the on worst the third thing. line. That wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, Backus drives play decently. I mean, Backus should be playing over Derek Grant. What's going to be Backus ba- is a better player than Derek Grant. Well, I would have Backus with, you know, some version of Rowney, Grant, and Deloria on the wings. I don't think outside of Backus, none of those guys should be playing center. I, I don't. I don't think Grant is a particularly good center at five on five. So, nope. Give it to Backus in the fourth line and rotate Deloria and Rowney. Maybe keep Grant in there for his penalty killing which he is good yeah. at. Um, yep. I think the big, I mean, we could talk about this endlessly, but I do think I am very curious to see how Sam Steele looks early on because he's kind of a, he's kind of an X factor for this team. If, if he's coming out looking really improved, that changes a lot for the ducks. Cause all of a sudden you have three centers, you know, if you're Dallas Aikens that you can really count on, because even though, Dallas Aikens will tell anybody that Sam Steele was great for them last year and won a bunch of faceoffs. I think he probably wants a bit more from Sam Steele. And so if he can do that, that will change a lot of things for the Ducks. Yep. 
And then uh, Fetral asks, is Dostal going to be the starter or backup for the goal? So we don't even know necessarily <laughs> what the goal situation is going to well, be, the how many AHL games they're starting playing. until February. So. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of question marks, to be honest, of what's going to happen there. I would assume it's going to be platoon duty between him and probably Ole Eriksson Ek, uh, maybe Roman Derny, who knows, mm-hmm. uh, which one of those will be the, the second goalie for the goals. Maybe they do... Uh, a three-man uh, three-man goalie setup similar to the NHL as a result, and you have all three of those guys as part of the the San Diego goals. But I would bet that the Ducks are going to want to see what they have in Lucas Dostal. And I mean, out of that group, he's the highest profile at this point in time between Derny Ek, or Erickson Eck and Dostal. So you're gonna, I would expect him to get the most games. But I would bet that it's a fluid situation, and they're going to play whoever gives them the best chance to win. I mean, I think that the the goals want to try to make the playoffs. And so if one of those guys is playing better at a specific point in time, I would bet that's going to be the goalie. And because all of them are kind of these younger type of guys, I doubt that it's going to be locked in with one of the guys as the starter and one as a backup. It's more going to be one, a one B between the two of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now there's so much unknown, but I think we can, we can assume that Dostal is going to get every opportunity to establish himself. I, I think the Ducks aren't bringing him all the way over here just to have him sit on the bench. So yeah, it's going scientific land. It's going to be good. I'm, I'm scientific just saying, I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. Scientific Lance asks, do you think the Ducks will continue the 21st duck tradition for the first home game? I would bet they do. Yeah. I mean, why I, I would think why so. wouldn't you? I mean, may, maybe what they do is they they go into a health go for a healthcare worker, find a healthcare worker yeah. dealing that has dealt with COVID in a very significant fashion, and there there's there's your way to highlight both a, a first responder and also highlight a twenty first doc. And so I think that would be be a cool situation with the for them to to pay tribute to the people that have been putting their lives on the line for everyone during this pandemic yep. um, to make sure everyone's safe and healthy throughout all of this. So I think. It will either be the 21st duck or maybe they just do a salute to all healthcare workers, basically. Yep. Any other questions? Uh, nope. That is going to do it for us. Okay. Well, I think uh, let's wrap up here. So we're going to talk about a few ways that you can support our podcast, but one of the ones that's the easiest and has the lowest cost is you can simply leave us an Apple podcast review on the actual app itself apple podcast app and so if you leave a review and also a rating we will leave we will read that review on air here on the show and jake i believe we have a new one to go over here we do it's from runes 04 five stars go ducks uh said great show can't wait for this upcoming season so we can't either it's going to be an absolutely fantastic and fun ride well, so just so everybody is aware, we've got one more week. Or sorry, we've got, I was going to say, I was talking about a regular season, but until the Ducks actual training camp, until the Ducks hit the ice officially, we've got three days. Three days. We're talking about days now, not they, months. They need, to, they need to stream training camp. I am I am really hoping that they do something like that or that yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, something to monitor. But on that note, so talked about how you can support the show there check us out on apple Podcasts. another way that i would highly recommend patreon.com slash crash the pond so for a dollar a month we give you two tiers of support for a dollar monthly pledge you get access to our patrons only discord chat which has been buzzing 
the last couple of weeks here, really. I mean, with the duck season ramping up now, we've been in there talking with patrons, just discussing the latest uh, news on the Ducks front. And also we've been having live in-game chats during the World Junior Games where Ducks prospects are involved. There's been a lot of love for Trevor Zegras in there. So I think that if you're just, if nothing else, looking to join a community of really diehard fans who are really dialed in just in every facet of the game, or if you're a newer fan who's just looking to get into that community to learn more, if you're if you're really curious about all of this, then I highly recommend it. And that's just for $1 a month. You get to interact with us as well, which uh, may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing, who knows. Now for $5 a month, you still get access to that uh, patrons-only chat, but you also get access to two bonus episodes a month. We just did our most recent, our, our second one of the month for December, and we did a look at some Ducks-related topics where we can go more in depth. So if you enjoy kind of the uh, the nuance of the show or more of the banter where the lighter side is showing off a bit more. You get a lot of that on the Patreon episode since we have more time there. But we also get into some league-wide topics. So, for example, on that show, we gave our predictions for the standings for all of the new NHL divisions, which we talked about earlier. So, once again, that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Whether it's a dollar, whether it's $5 a month, we appreciate uh, the support there quite a bit. Helps the show keep going few other ways that you can support the show jake talked about it um or maybe you did i don't know everything is a blur right now twitch.tv slash crash the pond so when we do our uh podcast live on sunday nights we're live on twitch and you can join in there uh if you're if you have an amazon prime subscription is that promotion still going i believe so i don't know if it's called amazon or twitch prime anymore i believe it's Uh twitch gaming now but it's the same concept yeah, so basically, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you can subscribe to us on Twitch for free, and so you get some, I think, some emotes. Is that the current perk? Yes, special special badges next to your name, special emotes in the chat. Yep, so you get some cool perks, and you help the show here. Just keep plugging along. So that's at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Oh, and you get to see us talking live get to see our faces another way that you can see our faces if you or if you maybe just enjoy um listening to podcasts in video format we're on youtube youtube.com slash crash the pond make sure you subscribe there and make sure that you turn on the notifications so that you know when our videos go up we're on spotify as well um we still there's still time if we were in your top podcast of 2020 you know how spotify does those playlists for people at the end of the year let us know and uh, a way to let us know, find us on social media. Jake is on there at Reindeer Games ninety one. We have we have had some people mention that. I'm yeah. trying to find them because I want to give them credit. I believe uh, I think Travis Anderson. Yes, was one I of believe them. Travis Anderson was mm-hmm. one of the ones. And there may have been one more. My apologies if I'm forgetting who you are. But, but let yes, us know. Believe, yes, or, or remind exactly. us. Remind us if yes, we, please. If, if we forgot. Blame Jake. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so find us on, on Twitter there uh, at Crash the Pond, CrashThePond.com. Jake had an article last week. Go read that. I'll two have, articles. Yeah, two articles. Just just ah, r- really crushing it here. I know. Hey. Making it look bad. Hey, I'll have one up this week. Don't worry. Okay, good. Don't, d- don't worry. Uh, calling, <laughs> calling my shot a little bit here, but I, I've got I've got some things in the cooker here. So... Thanks, everybody, for continuing to support the show. Uh, Hope everybody's having a great end to the year. And uh, enjoy the the Ducks news that's going to start trickling out in just a few days here. And we'll talk to you 
at the next show. Bye.